It is Christmas Eve. Eve. What? Eve. It's Christmas Threeve. Yeah, Christmas Threeve. Um, it's the fan drive time. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. Um, hope you enjoyed the next-gen game between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Philadelphia Flyers, either watching on Sportsnet or listening here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. I uh, hope the kids enjoyed it, uh, although it was a, a school day for everybody, so some kids maybe got out of school early, uh, 2 o'clock start. Wouldn't a 5 o'clock start make a little bit more sense for, for these next-gen games? Like, not not to dump on the next-gen game, because who didn't like all the animations and the the Justin Bieber jersey of it all? But, yeah, 5 o'clock, you know, at least then the kids can can go to school and then after school go with their parents after their work, and it's still an earlier, an earlier start so you get to bed at, at the proper time. I guess my counter to that would be, A, it doesn't feel as special if you don't get to miss school. Mm. B, the rush of trying to pick a kid up from school around 3, 3.30 and get mm-hmm. to the game in time for five. And then also you have then taken a half day away from the parent yeah. as well because that parent might have to rush, rush, rush to make it for a five o'clock start. Like I'd imagine for people who work real jobs, unlike us, yeah. a five o'clock start would be the most impossible start to make conveniently on the board. Yeah, well, t- is two o'clock convenient? I guess you're just taking the whole day off at two well, o'clock. Or at least a half day. You work till noon. You got a little two-hour window. What are you going to do? Hey, can I leave... <laughs> 75 minutes early <laughs> isn't isn't that better for the employer than the half day like well no because a half day i'd imagine you use half a vacation day i don't know i Whereas don't know how I'm the real not, world works no imagine I, we could use a half a vacation day where we only do an hour of the show i know occasionally you do like an hour of, the, of this show that's not for vacation that's for <laughs> extra work <laughs> but yeah imagine i just started taking half vacation days that'd be cool right you'd be down with that yeah, but that also like presupposes that you're working real eight-hour days <laughs> instead of yeah. you know coming in to watch the Leaf game for three hours oh, and right. then doing a two-hour show. No, that's a great point because there's no prep or research oh. or watching other games that goes into this. No, it's no, just we just show running. up, we flip on the microphones. Uh, I I look at the box score. Ah, oh, Maple Leafs uh, won another hockey game. Uh, good for them. We'll get to that in just a second. But today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota. Your local Toyota store since 1969. Come for the history, stay for the future. Duffer North the Steels. Is the Toronto Raptors win a game, which on its own is 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 pretty noteworthy, considering they had lost six in a row going into MSG to play the New York Knicks. We were riding the longest active win streak going into that one, the longest active losing and longest active winning streak colliding, and uh, both are over as uh, the Raptors beat the New York Knicks in spectacular fashion because Pascal Siakam was spectacular. 52 points, second most ever in Raptors franchise history behind only Fred Van Vliet's 54. Um, And he's the 10th visiting player to ever score 50 points at MSG. He's really freaking good. And any conversation about what this team does before the trade deadline it it doesn't involve him. Like, there's just, unless you're stripping it down to the studs, which why would you for a guy who's not yet 30 years old? Yeah, that this is the guy that you're building around because he's not he's not Kevin Durant and he's not in the MVP discussion, but whatever that second tier is, that's Pascal Siakam's tier. Yeah, he could get in the MVP discussion if the Raptors turn things around. Uh, he's not, like, he's made two All-NBA teams. Mm-hmm. He would probably make an All-NBA team if the Raptors can get to, like, 500 this year. That's not that far off from 
being on some MVP ballots. I'm not saying he's going to win it. You're but right. Like, if he continues to throw up 52-point games, then yes. yeah, he'll be well, in the MVP It's also, it's not just 52. He had 39 the other night. It yeah. is the most points a Toronto Raptors scored over a three-game span ever. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. The franchise has been around for a long time. And as much as they didn't have a lot of success for a lot of those years, they had some pretty prolific scores in Vince Carter and DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, they did. Like, is he? Yeah. I, you know what? I was going to go there next as well. And then Chris Bosh is a pretty great player as well. Like, is he, is he on the, that level? Because those guys were also great players and, and, you know, I guess peripheral MVP candidates. But is that, is that like, if you were going to talk historically, the, the cheer for a homegrown player, because I think the greatest individual player that's ever played for the franchise is the guy that led them to a championship in Kawhi Leonard. And, and nobody that's played uh, uh, before Kawhi Leonard or since has risen to the level of Kawhi Leonard, who was, you know, especially at differing points during the postseason, the best player in the NBA appeared as such. And I don't think the Raptors have had a player that's all that close to that level, but on that secondary level, is he like right there? And I'm not talking about the his entire career counting stats, but just like as far as perception, Vince Carter, Chris Bosh, uh, DeMar DeRose and Kyle Lowry, like on that level, the way he's playing right now. He certainly is. And you can do that statistically. You can do that. I mean, you could chop it up a lot of ways, right? So when you look at, you know, how many all NBA teams have guys made? Well, first of all, no Raptor has ever made first team all NBA. So we'll throw that out there. But Vince Carter made a second team and a third team. Mm-hmm. Chris Bosh made a second team. Mm-hmm. DeMar made a second team and a third team. Kyle only made a third team. Kawhi made a second team. Pascal has made a second and a third team already. Yeah. And is playing the best basketball of his career. So he would be the first Raptor to make three all NBA teams. Um, So in terms of sure, that's not the peak of Kawhi and he's not yet in the, the tier of longevity that Kyle and DeMar had like DeMar will hold a lot of franchise records for a long time because he spent so much time here. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kyle had, what I'd say is probably the longest peak as a Raptor, but Pascal Siakam would then have a case of like maybe short of Vince, the best five-year run any Raptors ever had. Like that's what we're talking here. If you have three all NBAs in four seasons and the season before that you won a championship as like the number two B (laughs) or number three guy, like that's a pretty crazy five-year run we're looking at here. Not to mention that like, he is starting to climb very high in all the Raptors record books. Like, I don't, I don't think it would be an outlandish thing to say he's already a top five Raptor of all time. You know, some of that would come down to your feelings about Chris Bosh. And if DeMar, you know, where exactly DeMar ranks and stuff like that, like DeMar, Kyle, Vince, Chris Bosh were always the like certain four when you're talking about that. And then for a while, it was like, who's next? Like Amir Johnson or Mo Pete or, or Jose Calderon? Um, guys who are awesome to have as part of your franchise history, but not as top five players. And then Kawhi came in and it was a very easy, well, like, yeah, Kawhi's the fifth, even if it was only one year. Now you get into with a couple of years removed from Kawhi and Pascal doing what he's doing, um, you know, until the last couple of weeks, Fred doing what he's been doing. You you could have some conversations around that of, okay, well, Chris Bosh is really really good tenure where they didn't really win anything Mm -hmm. and like i said he made one all nba team or Kawhi leonard having one like the best single season any raptor has ever had versus pascal siakam having maybe this best five-year run Mm -hmm. that we've seen from a guy in terms of sustaining an upside 
you know, we can have those debates at the end of the season if he makes an all-NBA team or even if he doesn't. But yeah, I think it's very, very safe to put Pascal Siakam among the best Raptors we've ever seen um, at this point. And you, you mentioned MVP votes and stuff like that. There are not a lot of Raptors who have received MVP votes. You know what the highest the Raptors ever finished at the MVP voting? Uh, fifth, maybe? Seventh. Seventh. Chris Bosh in 2006-2007 finished seventh. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jason Tatum is the betting favorite. We kind of finished the show yesterday. Maybe we'll have a, a larger NBA, uh, NBA MVP conversation later on in the program. He's four years younger than Pascal Siakam right now. He's 24. Jason Tatum's like really good. Very young, mm-hmm. uh, as is Luka Doncic. He's very good and very young. And even Nikola Jokic is, is younger than Pascal Siakam, who is going to be 29 in April, which is not aged. And I do wonder if, like, the, the fact that he has not even played basketball all that long in his career and, you know, as a number one option, best player on a team, it's been late developing, obviously, as a, a late first-round pick and basically... It, it, it's it's the greatest, uh, as you, I think, have called it before, the greatest uh, example of franchise developing a player in the history well, of the sport. I wouldn't even say franchise. Like, Pascal Siakam alone, Raptors or otherwise, is, I think, at this point, we could, like, statistically, Steph Curry and Draymond get in there, but Steph's was, like, very injury-based, mm-hmm. the way his development curve was weird. Based on where they were drafted and where their careers, like, Siakam is like one of the only guys who he didn't win these awards, but like he could have checked the box of six. Like he was G league finals MVP one year. And then the next year he could have had an argument for six man of the year. That, that was a weird year where like, because it was the bench mob, mm-hmm. like everyone just shared the credit, mm-hmm. but like Pascal was the best player in that group. Who the, the, won six man of the year that year? I don't remember. Because the, I mean, they had that, that Hawks uh, starting lineup thing. Remember where they were all like players of the, the month or whatever. Or the, yeah. <laughs> they should have just given that, that bench mob. Lou Williams won it that year. Of course. Okay. The, the answer. Yes, you should always is, just guess Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford. <laughs> if you don't know who won six man of the year. But so, you know, he won G League accolades as a rookie and then he could he had a case for six man of the year and then he won most improved and Mm. then he started an all star game (laughs) and then he made two all NBA teams. He's won a title. And like now we're talking about like, I don't think he's going to be higher than like, let's say the Raptors turn this around and they end up sixth in the East, let's say. Mm. I think he would show up fourth or fifth on some MVP ballots. The 100 NBA vote media who vote mm-hmm. get to list five guys. It's a point system similar to what the NFL's gone to this year. Man. I think he would show up on some fourth or fifth spots because he would also get the extra pub of the Raptors being a feel good turnaround story and it's going to go it's going to be him dragging them there. Well, and if you are fourth or fifth in MVP voting. I guess it's different than being fourth, the fourth or fifth best player in the NBA. No, I just mean some people yeah. would vote for him, right. right, but if you are a top five player, which, again, was his goal prior to the season, to be a top five player in the NBA, that, that my my contention, I guess, to start this conversation was that he's, an, he's a, a star. He's an NBA star and already has established himself, obviously, being a third-team NBA player as a top 15 player in the NBA, but not somebody that can be the best player on a championship team. Like, if you are a top five player, though, aren't you? Like, by nature, aren't you? can't you be the best player on a championship team? I mean, look at the recent history of championship teams. Like, nobody... 
like Kawhi had to answer that question. LeBron has answered that question. And like Steph Curry was the best player on those teams, but it took until last year for him to win a finals MVP. Like mm-hmm. there are, he had KD, he had Draymond, Igudala got the finals MVP. Right. Like, and I know that that's not, Igudala was not the best player on a championship team. Yeah, he Steph's did a great that. job limiting LeBron to like a thousand points yes. a game. But there is very much a shared credit. And it takes, like, look at the entire history of the NBA and especially recently. Like, it takes a lot more than just one guy to win a championship. Like, when we look back on what that Raptors championship team looked like, like when all these guys' careers are done, like Kawhi, Hall of Fame, Lowry, yeah. Hall of Fame, Marcus Saul, Hall of Fame, yep. um, you know, Pascal Siakam, a guy who went on to be on multiple All-NBA teams. Fred became an All-Star. Um, you know, Danny Green has rings out the wazoo. Serge Ibaka, an incredibly decorated NBA and international career. Like, we are going to look back on that team and be like, oh my God. God, that team was stacked Mm -hmm. because it was because that's what it takes to win an NBA championship. (laughs) Like Nikola Jokic is the two-time defending MVP and has not won a championship. Joel Embiid has been like the, I don't know if he came exactly runner-up each of the last two years, but like spiritually he's been the runner-up and he was, so I participated in Tim Bontemps' uh, straw poll at ESPN. He does it at the one-third mark of, and then the two-third mark and then the end of the year. Uh, It tends to approximate pretty well. Uh, what the MVP vote ends up being Joel Embiid second in that. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't won a championship. Um, Jason Tatum, who is now the betting favorite. He came in, uh, in fifth, I think. No, he came in first in bond temps. I accidentally brought up last year's, um, but yeah, same thing. He hasn't won. Yeah, but he got to a final. He like did. I, and, and, he did. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that, like, if you look at the MVP candidates, the you are the best player on a championship team is like, it's not a thing. There just haven't been, like, there's been Steph Curry, LeBron, and Kawhi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm Giannis. I, I Giannis, think, sorry. Yes. Yeah, I think once you get to a finals, though, we can say pretty well that, although we wouldn't probably say that about Jimmy Butler. And, and like, Pascal Siakam was... He was not the second best overall player during the Raptors playoff run, but he was absolutely their number two scoring option in the NBA finals against, yeah, sure, the the Warriors were thinned out. You know who they still had? Draymond Green guarding Pascal Siakam like every game. They did. So I'm, I'm not saying that he is on the level of those guys. I think it would not be crazy for him to receive some down ballot MVP votes if things turn around for the team. You're not getting MVP votes if okay. your team finishes under 500. Yeah. It just doesn't really happen. I think for, for this exercise, though, let's think about this team not turning it around to that degree and and still, like, you know... Yeah. Like, what are we saying the turnaround is? Do they make the play-in still or do they bottom out? No, not. I'm not even thinking about standings-wise. Obviously, it's related. I'm thinking about what they do with the deadline, mm-hmm. which which is like, okay, they're, they're, they're not adding at the deadline. They're, they're sending out Gary Trent Jr. And, I mean, Fred Van Vliet is, is another discussion. But the, 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 the question I'm most interested in and the, the thought exercise I'm most interested in, I mentioned that Pascal Siakam is going to be 29 by the time the postseason rolls along. But he's a young 29. And I don't, mm-hmm. again, I don't know how the miles on the tires are impacted by the fact that he's late developing. And it was, look, not, when not Pascal Siakam games a year yeah. early in his career, I don't know how much the, the wear and tear aspect is because, like, he is by all accounts, like, a legendary hard worker in the off season. Mm-hmm. So that's going to account for some of that. Yeah. Maybe How do you, you do that math. Maybe you don't take the physical pounding <laughs> and like he played. It's not like he like rolled out of bed at 
whatever age it was and was like, I'm going to play sports. No, he's playing soccer before that. And like, not at elite levels, but like, yes, in basketball terms. And this is why Siakam has been so fascinating developmentally and why even now, like this, like every new step he reaches seems like it was impossible. Even at the last step, like when he won most improved, you're like, okay, that's awesome. Like that, that's great. He's turned into a really good player. And then he makes the all, then he's an all-star starter. Then he's an all NBA. Like he keeps, upping the bar and part of that is his work ethic and just this cool developmental story but part of it is yes if we look at developmental capacity and how much room a guy still has to grow age is maybe not as good an indicator as how much basketball have you played it was like the stanley johnson thing like i liked stanley johnson as a redraft candidate for the raptors because hey he had all this pedigree and he was in a bad developmental situation and maybe you can get more out of him it didn't work out And, you know, looking back on it, probably the number I should have looked at more was how many minutes this guy's already played in the NBA and at a high level of college basketball. Nikola Jokic, when he was 17, Mm -hmm. so when Pascal Siakam was still figuring out, like, am I going to play basketball or am I going to be a priest or, you know, am I okay leaving my family to go to the U.S.? Nikola Jokic was already playing professionally in Europe. Yeah, pounding 20 liters of of Pepsi a day or whatever. Yeah, 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 he's basically (laughs) Newfie with how much Pepsi he drank at that time. Um, And, like, Luka Doncic is another one where from a very young age, even someone like, like Ricky Rubio was playing pro ball at, like, I don't know, nine years old. I I think it was closer to like 16, but um, yeah, like Luka Doncic was 16 when he was on Real Madrid. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very young. So at 29 years old, if the the Raptors are doing, let's call it a soft reset, right? Sure. If you're trading away a a young shooter and Gary Trent Jr. And especially if you're trading away, you're about to be 29 year old uh, point guard and Fred Van Vliet, that's like a total change in some areas, but the core of your superstar and Pascal Siakam and, and probably Scotty Barnes and probably OG Ananobi are still there. Is it wise to do a soft restart or a, a soft, whatever I called it, soft reset, retool around a guy that's a, about to be almost 30 years old? Yes, because you don't have to give all those pieces super long-term contracts. And like, this is the Gary Trent complication is like, Gary Trent on paper, and we've seen it in action, is a pretty good compliment to Pascal Siakam offensively. And given the team's defensive environment, you can withstand Gary Trent. Like, if Gary Trent is your worst defender on the floor, you're probably okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't mean that as a dig at him, but, like, he's their worst defender in that starting lineup. And if that's the case, you're in pretty good shape. Um, but the question you run into is, like, okay, are you going to give him a four-year deal at $30 million. No, that hamstrings you. So I think the way you would look at re uh, the, the quick retool around Siakam would be, yes, still what Scotty Barnes becomes dictates a ton of where the Raptors could or could not go. Mm-hmm. And that's in terms of, well, say you trade Fred away. You need Scotty Barnes to eventually ascend to number two status probably for that core to have a championship upside. Like you need him to be as good as Siakam was in the championship year, right? Well, and let yeah. And then, you know, OG's obviously a very important piece around that too. So the Scotty thing is important. Scotty is also the transition point where like that's almost your pivot foot. And I am start I have started to look at things with a window through to the off season of 2025. 
And that's going to be an important offseason because uh, we could have changes to the collective bargaining agreement by then. The new TV money could be coming in, should be coming in by then, or at least we will know what the next TV deal looks like. So the salary cap environment will have changed. Also, though, you can be pretty sure, given Pascal Siakam's late peak, barring injury, he will sustain this level of play for, for two more years. Like, I think that's, that's pretty reasonable for a guy who hit his peak at 28 or 29 to maintain it to 31. That also happens to be the last year of Scotty Barnes' rookie contract. So before you have to give him the big money. So we talk about with the Blue Jays contending in waves. Vlad and Bo and Mano are cheap right now. That lets you spend on Springer and Gosman and Bassett and build the sporting cast around them. When Vlad and Bo and Manoa become more expensive, then it's like, well, Tiedemann and Moreno and whoever else is in the system better be able to provide inexpensive help around that because you don't have an unlimited budget. Um, That's kind of how I've started looking at this, where you've got two and a half more years of Siakam at a very, very high level. And you have to make a contract decision at some point on Siakam that extends beyond that. But competitively, you could be pretty sure he's going to be at the uh, an all-star level for two more seasons after this one. Um, and then that's also your Scotty pivot point. So I think you, if you do a soft retool or whatever you want to call it, um, you're looking at the window between now and 2025. So when you go hunting for guys, it's mm-hmm. can they help now and the next year? And really, and this is what they tried to bet on with Gary Trent, is can they be good now? And will they be better later in this contention window and that's that's a tough needle to thread, but that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that difficult to create a fringe contender around a guy that you're already you're starting with a guy that's already you know a top ten player in the NBA and a guy that's coming off a rookie of the year season. And you know, there's a lot more to get to with Scotty Barnes. Oh yeah. Um, maybe we won't do that here, but I I, I do want to uh, circle back to, to Scotty Barnes. Who, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of a linchpin uh, of, of whatever you plan on doing in the next half decade or so, and this has certainly not been a step forward for him. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at a lot of what's gone wrong for the Raptors this year, you certainly can't hang it on Scotty Barnes. That's not fair for a 21-year-old. But when we were projecting ahead what this team would look like this year, yeah. it was, okay, a full season of Siakam, and maybe you manage Fred Van Vliet's workload a little better. OG takes a step forward offensively. And then a big part of that was scotty improves Mm -hmm. and he's been by most measures except for the playmaking he's taking a step back this year Mm -hmm. not a step forward and that's a part of the accounting here on top of the injuries and all that other and the randomness and all that other stuff um my last point on the mvp stuff so when i did this straw poll with tim bontemps Uh a hundred of us voting on who what our mvp ballot would look like right now this is like a week and a half ago at this point 13 different guys received top five votes. So that lets you know, I, I, I mentioned that just because like if someone's like rolling their eyes at the idea of Siakam getting a fourth or fifth place vote, 13 different guys wow. got a vote. The only one of those guys, well, two now on losing teams, uh, Anthony Davis, who's going to fall off that ballot because he's out for a bunch of time and right. the Lakers are bad. Shea. Yeah. And Shea got one fifth place vote and I don't know who it was, but I think it was uh, this vote doesn't actually count. And I would like to show some mercy to the guy who is, you know, I think it was Mike Prada who coined him uh, the nickname 30 in a loss. Yeah. Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, they've been better than expected too. But yeah, anyway, you, you don't get to have these conversations unless your team is pretty good. Yep. Um, and at the moment, the Raptors are not, although for one day they are riding a one game winning streak. That was today's top story. 
brought to you by Thornhill Toyota. Elsewhere, uh, as you just heard and probably saw on Sportsnet, Leafs beat the Flyers 4-3. Uh, they were dominating through 40 minutes of play, and things got a little dicey in the third period, but no worries. Leafs go into the holiday break having picked up points in 22 of their last 25. They're 17-3-5 uh, in that stretch. Ilya Samsonov, he was fine in this game. He gave up a, a, a kind of dicey goal and then was bailed out by a, a missed wide-open cage. But uh, he ties a 55-year-old Toronto Maple Leafs record with the nine straight consecutive home wins to start a season. So congrats to him. But I, I, I think my biggest takeaway, Blake, is comparing this Leafs team to the Leafs team that we saw for the first two weeks of the season, that there's no letdown against crappy teams. We saw it against the Ducks a couple of weeks ago. We're seeing it against the Flyers in an afternoon game in front of the kids today, that w- even with the specter of the holiday break looming and, and this team having such a huge buffer and the narrative being so positive surrounding them, they're not getting high on their own supply. No, they just keep pounding everybody into dust. Compare the last two games. I know they're not far removed from losing to the Rangers and Capitals, their only two-game regulation losing streak of the year. Yeah. But you just had the Tampa Bay Lightning, who would be at the absolute top of the who are you most fired up to play. Yeah. And then the Philadelphia Flyers, who would be very, very close to the bottom of that. And in both of those games, the opponent had single digit shots after two periods. Yep. Like that's how, and yeah, there was maybe a little bit of let up with like seven minutes left yeah. today. And it at least made for an exciting last couple minutes when uh, I was ready to shut the laptop and, and come into the studio. Um, yeah. They're, they're putting teams through the thresher right now. And that's what you want to see. And again, this is, uh, we, we keep saying it, but it's a team that has done this, not even close to full strength on their back end so when you look at when you hear things like hey they held the lightning who are a really good team to single digit shots over two periods and you held the flyers who know they're not a very good team but they're also kind of a team in a situation where if you're forward on that team are you not just trying to get your shots in trying to get your points in Mm -hmm. and those guys got no opportunities too so I, i think they're in pretty good shape here yeah, uh, at 5-on-5, five five, shots were 24-11 in favor of the Toronto Maple Leafs in uh, this hockey game. But yeah, you mentioned it. Haven't been healthy all season long. At times, they've been without their top three defensemen. And Rasmus Sandin has been one of the guys that has been able to step forward and really look legit, look like the guy that had all that promise and, and people imagine being a top-pairing defenseman. Uh, now he's hurt, too, so he's on the IR. But uh, not expected to be long-term, um, probably just with the, the days off and the lack of games here around the Christmas yeah, 20, break. 27th, the next one? Yes. Yeah. Um, which would be, I guess, on Tuesday. All right. When we come back, we'll go uh, to New York City and talk to one of the voices of New York sports, Frank Isola. He of the uh, Nets on Yes broadcast and also ESPN's Around the Horn and PTI. He'll join us next as the Fan Drive Time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy, a good way to get on people's radar in the NBA is have a big night at MSG, which uh, Pascal Siakam very much did with his 52-point performance, ending the Knicks winning streak and ending the Raptors losing streak. Let's talk to Frank Isola of uh, the Nets on Yes broadcast, ESPN's Around the Horn, and PTI. How's it going, Frank? Good. How you guys doing? Doing all right. Yeah. Like, how how has has having a big night at at, at the uh, Mecca evolved over the years? I know it's been you know a decade since the the Knicks won a playoff series, but yeah, w- what does that mean in twenty twenty two to have a fifty point night at MSG? 
No, I, I think it's special. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure you heard the rumors that people in New York, are, you know, were somewhat pompous and arrogant. <laughs> and when, you know, guys perform at Madison Square Garden, you're waiting for them to put on a show. I remember, I'm going to get the year wrong, but there was a stretch when LeBron came into the garden, Kobe came in, uh, then there was another great player, I forget who it was, and they all had, like, spectacular performances. And it was you could tell that each one wanted to outdo the other. And, there was you know, that was the thing about Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan loved sticking it to the Knicks, obviously, and Michael Jordan was born in Brooklyn, so he had a New York connection, and he always wanted to perform there. And there is something to be said about that. I think that's something that Pascal Siakam will remember for the rest of his life. He'll probably, you know, he'll probably tell people, you don't realize this, but the game before I scored 38 points. So I actually had 90 points in two games, but all everyone's going to want to talk about is the 52 that he had at Madison Square Garden, which, of course, comes in a win. It's, you know, I've, I've been there for, uh, you know, Unbelievable Michael Jordan games. I was there the night Kobe went for, I'm going to get this wrong. I think, didn't he go for 60? And then I was there the night when Carmelo broke the garden record for a regular season game, but breaking Bernard King's record. So, you know, when it happens, there is a special buzz. And the one thing about the Knicks fans, you know, when a guy's going off like that, they do, there is an appreciation that they have. So I'm sure for Pascal Siakam, it's going to be a long time and people are going to be still bringing that up. So if you look at the list of visiting players who've done this, it is basically superstars only and Rip Hamilton's on there. I have a big soft spot for Rip Hamilton, uh, that 51 point game back in the, you know, it was a triple overtime game too. So maybe there's a bit of an asterisk, but it's basically the territory of superstars. When you think about Pascal Siakam in the larger NBA consciousness, this is a guy who has won a championship, won some awards, started an all-star game, been all NBA twice. Um, It doesn't feel like he's thought of at that level yet, but a 52 piece at the garden when the Knicks are red hot, you'd have to think that helps in that regard, right? Yeah. And I think, I think Siakam, you know, I think that year in the bubble, where he didn't play well. He was kind of getting into it a little bit with Nick Nurse. And I think, you know, his play went down. And obviously the Raptors, the year after Kawhi, everything uh, changed for them. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I think Siakam at the start of last season started playing really well. And he's had some good moments this year. But you guys know how it works, too. You know, it's great to have games like that, but your team has to keep winning. And if you look at Kevin Durant, the way that he's played recently, with the Brooklyn Nets, he's been putting up big numbers, and the Nets have been on a roll. I think they're at seven straight right now. I think it might be 11 of 12. So I think most people around the league look at Pascal Siakam as a terrific player, but now you also have to see the results. So mm-hmm. the 52 is great, but to do it in a win, that makes it that much more special. Yeah, you mentioned uh, KD, uh, who was lamenting the fact that they don't have a Christmas Day game uh, because there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding him, obviously, in the offseason. All that's forgotten now, and and he's uh, got the six best odds, according to Bet Rivers, to win MVP. Um, do you like? Let's go back to to the offseason just for a second here, Frank, and then we can maybe talk about the Nets' uh, championship uh, aspirations this season. Because Scotty Barnes was the guy that we were led to understand was untouchable during trade conversations between the Raptors and Nets. Um, do you think if if Scotty Barnes had become available, that those trade conversations might have had a, a different uh, endpoint uh, as opposed to Kevin Durant returning to the the, the Nets and everything working out? Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of the teams that were talking to the Nets about Kevin Durant, it was about adding him to the great players that they already had. So if it was Toronto, I think they were looking to add him to Pascal Siakam and to Scotty Barnes with the 
uh, Boston Celtics, the Boston Celtics were willing to engage the Nets, but their thing was, yes, we want to. We're not going to give you Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. We're looking to get Kevin Durant to add to those guys. So I think that's one of the reasons why the Nets didn't make a trade. Now, from everything that I had heard, I heard that the one team that they were close to was Toronto. That there, there was like you know legitimate traction there. I think for the Brooklyn Nets, I think they did the smart thing. I think he asked for the world, and when they didn't get that, they tell Kevin Durant, "Listen, you're under contract for four years." You know, maybe we'll try to get a better deal. And here's the thing. You know, if you look at Durant, and I don't think the Nets would trade him, but between now and the deadline, think about what his value is. He's increased yeah. his value again. And then there are teams like the Golden State Warriors, right, who have all those young guys. If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I wouldn't trade Kevin Durant for what the Warriors have. Those players aren't good enough. I, you know, I saw them last night. You know, James Wiseman's a former number two overall pick. He's already spent time in the G League, which, let's face it, they were sending him a message. But that team has 16 road losses already. Of course, the one team they did beat was uh, Toronto the other night. <laughs> mm-hmm. But to, to me, Durant's value is really high. That's when, that's when it kind of takes guts to make a trade. Think of the teams in the NBA, whether it's Toronto, Boston. Think about a team like the Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic. Can you imagine if you put Kevin Durant, if you could somehow pair Kevin Durant with Nikola Jokic, how dynamite the Denver Nuggets would be? And if you're Kevin Durant, you might look at it as, you know what, in the Western Conference, we would be the team. Me playing with uh, Jokic would be great. So I would have to think that a lot of these teams are still going to call the Brooklyn Nets. But if the Nets keep winning, I'm I'm not so sure they're going to be looking to make a trade for Kevin Durant uh, in February. No, it, it seems hard to imagine. This this feels like what uh, your most optimistic outlook for this regular season would have looked like. And now, we've been fooled before, right? And it can all come crashing down, and who knows what Kyrie Irving's next thing is. But at this point, yep. d- doesn't this look like the, the championship contender we expected them to be with those two superstars at the top of uh, the pile there? Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. And Kyrie has played really well since he came back from suspension. But you guys know this. When you guys watch... Toronto night in and night out. You just have a better feel and you understand the players a lot better than, you know, other people that are kind of flying in and out with the Brooklyn Nets. The one thing is like, we all know that Kevin Durant is an all-time player, but when you see it night in and night out, just the impact that he makes, you know, and I didn't like the way that he handled the off season. You know, to me, it, it, it was unbecoming of a player of his stature, but when the ball is uh, thrown up a jump ball, the dude competes every single night. He plays the right way. He's unselfish. He passes out of double teams. He defends. He pushes his teammates. He, he does everything. And what, what he does is he just elevates the confidence of the players around him. He elevates their play. And, you know, I thought when Ben Simmons got traded to the Brooklyn Nets, my thing was Ben Simmons is never going to play with a player as good as Kevin Durant, most likely. Like, you, you should be quite dying to go play with Kevin Durant. And now that Ben Simmons – has kind of got his game back a little bit. He's not going to shoot jumpers, but he's played really well. So is Nick Claxton, Kyrie, Joe Harris, like all those role players with Kevin Durant. He's just, he's just a special, special talent. And they do look like a legitimate contender because when Kyrie's playing like this, the Nets have two guys that can close out a game. You saw it last week, the way that, um, you know, some of the, you know, Kyrie obviously hit the big shot against Toronto. Not a lot of teams have one closer. The Nets have two. They do, and it's going to be very fun if the Eastern Conference playoffs shake out where Brooklyn and New York are both in the mix there. Uh, can't even imagine what a, what a series between those two would, would do in terms of fun. Uh, looking over at another sport, there are two New York teams going head-to-head, uh, not in the same league or, or conference like Brooklyn and New York are, um, but the Mets and Yankees 
the Mets are outspending the Yankees and puffing their chests out about it. Um, man, Cohen doing this and doing it as brashly as he has, how much of a kick are you getting out of like the other owners' reactions to this, first of all? It's it's, it's crazy. You know, and the Mets fans, and God bless them, because I'll say this, you know, the Mets fans are a lot like the Jet fans in New York. It's a lot of woe is me. Uh, you know, they're used to their team losing, but they're also the kind of fan base if you put a product on the field, they'll support the product. If you don't, they won't go. And the one thing about when the Wilpons own the Mets, I think a lot of the fans felt they were being cheap. Now, Steve Cohen is the complete opposite of that, but I think it's too much. Baseball needs to do something. I understand the players' union there is really strong. There should be a floor that every team has to meet in terms of their salary, but the Mets, it's ridiculous. They won 101 games last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're adding Carlos Correa, giving all this crazy money. And think about the San Francisco Giants. You know, it looked like there was a chance they were going to get Aaron Judge. They don't get him. Then they're going to invest all this money in Carlos Correa. They decide to not get him. But I don't buy any of these long, you know, these crazy contracts. You know, Carlos Correa's already had a back thing. He's lasting 12, 13 years. Come on. I'm not. I, I think when these teams do that, I, I think sometimes it's a, it's a little misguided. Remember, Washington lost Bryce Harper. They won the World Series the next year. Mm-hmm. So it's not that kind of sport. It's not the NBA. Yeah, you want to have those guys. But even as great as Aaron Judge has been, and he handled himself well on the field, off the field, his negotiations, it was remarkable the way that he did that. The whole, the whole thing about betting on yourself, no one's done it like Aaron Judge has ever done. But, you know, it's not like the Yankees have never been to a World Series with Aaron Judge. Yeah. They got swept by the Houston Astros. So I think we look at it sometimes almost from a basketball standpoint of, oh, yeah, they got this superstar not like basketball you know it's it's more about a a team and about a pitching staff and timing and who gets hot at the right moment so yeah the money looks crazy right now and I think it's absurd but doesn't guarantee it certainly doesn't guarantee the Mets anything no it doesn't like you said there were 101 win team a season ago that didn't even win its division and uh, did not get under the first round yep. of, of the postseason, Frank. And it's, it's, it's all fun and games now, and Mets fans are ecstatic, as they well should be. Uh, I'm sure Jerry Seinfeld is having himself a party right now. But I, I wonder once, you know, we get to opening day and, and certainly by the time we get to the postseason, how much pressure will be on this team because anything short of at least a World Series appearance is an abject disaster having a half billion dollars in payroll. No, I, th- I think you're 100% right. I think there'll be a lot of pressure on Buck Showalter, who's never won the World I don't think he's never been to a World Series, much less won a World Series. And also, uh, you know, Buck Showalter, what happened last year, when they, you know, when they went out uh, in that, uh, the three-game playoff series that they had against the Padres. So there'll be a ton of pressure on him. The Mets fans, believe me, they'll apply the pressure. But it's going to make it fun because, you know, just baseball, just, you know, within this area, the AL East, the NL East with Toronto, being what they are, the Red Sox are always a lot of fun. The Phillies, think about the money that they spent, and they just went to the World Series. So it's, it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun, but there'll be pressure on the New York teams, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Aaron Judge, because remember, the Yankees, they did add the picture, uh, the pitcher Rodon, but you know it was great that they got Aaron Judge, but with Aaron Judge, again, they've never been to a World Series. And you know this past year, they got swept, obviously, by, um, by Houston in the ALCS. They did. Fun times in New York, though, in baseball and in basketball. Uh, football, maybe we have a Thursday nighter yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Buffalo. Um, we have a Thursday nighter that I think at the start of the year, none of us thought was going to be a very spicy game for a week 16 primetime game. Jaguars, Jets tonight. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to break it to New York sports fans, but the Jaguars are taking this one as they march on to winning the AFC South. Um, 
the way the AFC East has played out this year, Frank, um, obviously there's the Buffalo and Jets components, the the Jets being this young defense that looks like it has a bright future. There's also New England kind of taking a, what seems like maybe the last step back for this era of the Patriots. Um, what do you make of where that division is and how the Jets shape up in it from here? Yeah, the, the Bills are the class of the division. I give, you know, New England is, is technically still in it. They had one of the worst losses you can ever have the way that ended. You know, the Jets, are, I, I think the head coach is good. I think defensively they have a good team, but you have to get a quarterback. It's so hard to win in the NFL. And Zach Wilson, I, I think he's too small. You know, he's not accurate enough. But tonight's going to be fun because I'm about 10 miles from the stadium right now, and it's getting colder. It's been raining most of the day. It would be so much better if it was snow. There's nothing better than watching these outdoor football games from the comfort of your own home. Like that game on Saturday night between Buffalo and Miami was awesome. It's, you know, I love when the players outside are miserable and I get to be nice and comfortable watching from my couch. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, before we let you go, we know you're a big soccer guy. Italy, by the way, up to uh, eighth in the FIFA World Rankings, despite not participating in the World Cup. But uh, we also got some information about Messi, uh, kind of on tenter hooks, uh, wondering whether we'd be able to go see him uh, at BMO Field in Toronto to play Toronto FC this summer, how wild that would be. Turns out, no. Uh, he's going to continue to play uh, at the highest level or in one of the big leagues in Europe, in, in France, continuing to play uh, with PSG as his contract will will be extended as it was running out this summer. I mean, how do you feel about that? Because he's 35 years old, but obviously playing at a, at a very high level. It would have been uh, quite a quite a curiosity to see him in North America, though. Yeah, and I think eventually he'll end up in Miami and, uh, and play there. But, I, you know, I, I still don't mind if the MLS gets some guys toward the end of their career, we were lucky enough in New York to get to see Thierry on replay. And he was phenomenal. I mean, what a, it was, it was the best ticket in town. The, the price of the tickets wasn't bad and he would always put on a show, but you know, I, I think Messi is going to be more in demand than ever. And I wonder about, you know, the world cup four years in Canada, the U S and Mexico, you know, the, you know, his sponsors and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to still stay with the team. And if he's, and if he's healthy, mm. And if he's willing, why wouldn't he be on the roster in some way? It was what happened on Sunday was it was thrilling. It was a great showcase for the sport. You know, a lot of us here in the U.S. we were watching. Um, you know, we were into uh, Canada's game. They should have beat Belgium. That was disappointment. But it was a lot of fun. You know, seeing the U.S. compete Canada and Mexico because it's too bad they're not going to play qualifying because that's a lot of fun. They've already qualified. But I think those rivalries, you know, for the next you know few years, hopefully the next few decades, are going to be really good. Yeah, no, it's it's nice that Canada's uh, not just an afterthought in in those those matchup uh, matchups between Concacaf nations. Now, uh, Frank, uh, always great to chat. Thanks for doing this. Hey, happy holidays, guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Frank. Uh, Frank, Hi, yeah, Frank Isola. And that's on uh, yes, ESPN's around the horn and PTI. So the the dream is over. Messi's going back to France, and that's all well and good. In fact, I. I I'm mixed emotions because, again, like I would have loved to take my kids down to BMO Field and pay whatever it took to, to see the greatest in the history of the most popular sport in the world. But I, it's embarrassing for Messi to play in MLS at this point. Like, he's, gee, he's too good. I, and I know the French League, like the competition in that league is maybe not the highest, but he'll play in the Champions League and, and against the best players in the world um, and obviously get paid by the Qatari government who owns that franchise. Yeah. It's not a franchise or owns that club. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also only two years 
is I mean, it's not locked in yet, but the apparent uh, agreement to terms is through 2024. So maybe you still get your wish. Yeah. Your kids are young. That's true. They are young. Uh, and you know what? Um, I'm sure at 37, he'll still be playing at a pretty high level. And like Frank says, at 39, not out of the realm of possibility that he's able to, you know, play, I don't know, maybe not the whole game, 60 minutes. Look, I... I... I get what you're saying. I get what Frank's saying. It does seem to me, though, like footballers have a little bit better of a grasp of when to walk away from the highest levels of competition than other sports, maybe. Like I feel like Zidane that, was late 30s, though, right? Sure, like he, but like, there's like nobody who's played into their 40s that isn't a goalkeeper yeah. at the World Cup level. And Messi was like pretty straightforward through all of this. Luka Modric as well, like around the same age, you know, these guys knowing what a four-year cycle takes and knowing what ramping, or I guess for this next one, a three-and-a-half-year cycle, mm. uh, knowing what it takes to ramp up for that level of competition and what it takes out of you. Like, sure, I would love to see it. Um, it's hard for me to imagine a guy who went into that World Cup thinking it was going to be his last World Cup. He did the thing. He accomplished it. He won the World Cup. And then being like, yeah, you know what? I'll come back and I'll I'll do one more. Like, I, I get it. He's the all-time World Cup caps leader. Like, he could push that even mm-hmm. higher. He could move up the goal-scoring chart. He could help. Like, obviously, if he can still contribute to Argentina being competitive at that point, that's a, a factor. But but now the pressure's off, though, too, right? Like, the, the Argentinians, I, I, yes. Are they going to want to win another World Cup? Of course. Yes, because and they're the, the second-ranked FIFA nation. It'll but- very quickly become, can they defend the yeah. World Cup title? And can Messi do what no one at... 38 or 39 or whatever age he'll be at that point um, Mm -hmm. has ever done, there will be pressure. And look, if he can help the team, which I'm sure he'll still be able to, then it's a real conversation. But not knowing the guy, the I went into this thing thinking it was my last kick. I did it. I won it. Mm. Like... It's kind of like the raw stripling thing where he had the the no hitter and you know assumed he was done after one <laughs> after six innings and then yeah having to ramp it back up and go back out for a seventh and then yeah, give up a hit and immediately be relieved yeah yeah you're right like if maybe Messi's already mentally turned it off as far as his international career is concerned I mean he has three and a half years to turn it back on <laughs> but yeah it's hard for me to imagine like you frame it mentally as I have to do all this work I have to build up and peek at this one thing because it's the one thing missing from my resume. You do it, and then you're like, yeah, you know what? I'll do it once more. <laughs> like, it's cool. I'm sure it feels amazing. Um, I just, I, I don't know. The the going out at the absolute tippy top yeah. in terms of international competition, it's got to be hard to beat. Well, we'll see. We'll see in the Copas. Well, you know, maybe maybe well, he'll uh, he'll play in the Copas. Well, I'll, I'll also continue to to monitor uh, his Instagram followers to see if he passes oh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, what's going on with you with, with this stuff? <laughs> I just I want to, I, I I think he is now the most recognizable soccer player. But the only way to identify that numerically is through Instagram uh, Instagram followers. By the way, there was also Ronaldo news he's taking the money he's going to saudi arabia (laughs) at 37 years old a guy who's obviously at a different uh point in his career is uh just disappearing um taking the money and uh you have to go to saudi arabia to see him uh uh, last thing by the way i don't know we haven't talked about salt bay like you're familiar with that guy right the 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 chef celebrity chef the turkish chef yes but why would that be a 
thing that we would be talking about. You don't, so you have no idea of what I'm talking about? No. That he was part of the World Cup celebration? No idea. Didn't know he was Dude, Argentine. no. That, oh, no, he's not. Oh. <laughs> he's Turkish. And his, his restaurant is in Turkey. And, yes, yeah, some celebrities... Uh, and Gia, uh, the Infantino, the 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 head of FIFA, frequents his restaurant a lot. He was on the on the field at the conclusion of Sunday's game, like and trying to get a picture, like trying to nestle up close to Messi, and he was rebuffing him naturally because it's the biggest moment of his life, his career. He eventually did get a picture with the World Cup. It's sickening though. Um, FIFA now taking appropriate internal action to address the breaches of World Cup protocol, wow. whatever that means. By which I mean he's just never going to be. Uh, credentialed again for a World Cup. Wow. So, shout out Salt Bay. When we come back, um, Brian Reynolds, potential trade target. Of I thought the- you said Ryan Reynolds. I was no, like, we Brian don't have a Reynolds. senator's guest. No. We're going to uh, talk to John Morosi, who looks a lot like Ryan Reynolds. We'll talk to John Morosi about Brian Reynolds next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.